What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Lone Wolf Podcast. I'm your host, Wolfson. And today's episode, we got a special guest in the building. This guy has been known in the filmmaking industry, and he's a writer in the one and only country of Iceland. Please welcome Ali Bjark. Now, Ali and I had an interesting conversation because we actually met through a mutual friend that hosts Yu-Gi-Oh! content in once in a while. And he and I managed to meet each other since we're both into Yu-Gi-Oh! You know, nerd talk. Here we go. And as soon as we started talking to each other and he told me what he does, I got interested. I was like, whoa, that's awesome. And, and just immediately right there, I told him, it's like, hey, would you come to the show? So I'm so happy that he said yes, because in this episode, it's going to be a free part series episode. That's right, because we talked a lot. But it was a lot of good insights because... We actually went through all the stuff that he went through as a filmmaker, as a writer, to all the way to where he is right now. And all his achievements and accomplishments. And at the end of the show, we just basically kick ourselves out into Yu-Gi-Oh! And start going out and see what we like or we don't like. And this is actually a very good episode because this is basically the bridge that this show needed to go to other industries or other scenes of the entertainment industries. Not only now talking or taking over the ADM scene, we're also going to be hitting some of the filmmaking industry, and we're also going to be tackling some other industries as well. Be sure to like and subscribe for your weekly episodes at the Lone Wolf Podcast for SoundCloud, Spotify, Heart Radio, Apple Podcasts. Did I say Apple Podcasts? Did I say SoundCloud? Spotify no. and the YouTube channel at the lonewolfpod.com. That's lonewolfpod.com. When you can check all your latest episodes, you can also follow me at twitch.com and any other social medias at Wolves and Music, where you can actually check all my recent updates, clips. And, you know, if you want to see the episode before it's released, you can also check it out on the Twitch. Now coming soon, that Twitch, I'll be, be much more active and I will be able to stream stuff in Twitch and YouTube for any of my gaming side. That's right, guys. I'm going to have my own gaming, in which you guys are just going to experience me playing video games and any of the stuff that I enjoy to do. So, you know, why not? Everybody gets to see now how well informed I am into video games, how, how good I am into video games. I hope so. Anyways, without further ado, let's get started. This is the Lone Wolf Podcast. Boom. goes through i can finally <clears throat> i can have a green light to uh, write the pilot yeah man so that's that's what's gonna be uh like a like a tv series what's yeah it, what's it gonna be based on so it's about these three people three like young adults yeah around my around my age like 20s and they kind of lack uh, a purpose in their lives and two of them are a boy and a girl, and they, they've been close friends since uh, childhood. And there's this uh, sudden tragedy that happens to them, like when they're just reaching adulthood, still in their 20s, like the, they've reached adulthood. But there's this tragedy, like the boy's mother and the girl's father are found dead in a cabin and they have been like skinned alive. So and they were and they were having an affair. So, oh. and boy's father was suspected of the murder and he's been thrown in prison. So now they're kind of like, they have no purpose. They, because they work now, they're currently working for the girl's mother at this like hamburger joint, just right. 
and and they're both very smart but they like don't know what to do with their lives and but then like they noticed before their mother and father died like their parents were found they were behaving strangely they were complaining about a noise that only they seemed to be hearing like this high-pitched thing like someone was constantly whistling in their ear but no one else could hear it and the boy and the girl are now they're both in a relationship with two people and they're both unhappy in the relationship because the girl's with an abusive dude and the boy is in a relationship with a a girl who's emotionally abusive so they're kind of like they've kind of spiraled ever since the tragedy happened so this one night uh, the boy and the girl they go to the cabin where they found their parents and they're just kind of reminiscing about how times were before it all happened and then they wind up getting kind of drunk together and they wind up kissing, but they don't do anything further because they realize like, we're not going to cheat like our parents did. And so, and suddenly they start hearing a whistling in their ears. Simultaneously. Yeah. And they're both noticing, like, even though they don't live in the same block or anything, they, they start noticing this shadowy figure standing outside their houses, like, watching them and he it's like it's like is this the same thing that happened to our parents because they only hear it like in a low pitch and when they're near each other the pitch kind of goes up oh and so the boy goes to visit his father in prison and starts talking about it and he says i've actually been kind of discussing this with someone from your school so who's kind of been specializing in these weird things so they meet up with this third guy who becomes one of the protagonists as well. And what he does is that he's kind of spent his whole life reading and uh, like reading and getting to know all these urban legends and like these supernatural happenings all over the world. And, and he says like, this might be this. And they read about this urban legend about a man who whistles to people who are sinning because they kissed while in a relationship. They're right, right. That, it, that. it considers a, a sin in a biblical sense. Yeah. And so they start reading more about this guy. And he was a priest who, were, who found his wife with another man. And him being a man of a cloth, he just lost his mind and murdered them. And then he was killed for the crime. So now his ghost is kind of punishing sinners. Oh. And so in the pilot, they realize, like, can we kind of stop him? So they go to this church and they start like, we have to draw him out. So they go near each other and they start hearing the whistling again. And so they try kissing again. They just try doing like sinful things. And then suddenly the the pitch becomes so loud that they just can't bear it. They fall to their knees. And then the shadowy man, like seven feet tall, appears before them. And the third guy like slams down on church bells and the sound makes the creature, the shadowy man, just scream in agony because he used to be a man of a cloth. <laughs> but right. now he's now he's not, he's a demon. Yeah. So he vanishes into thin air. And now, because since the three of them this was the spark they needed to get their lives more excited. So they decide to like see if there's anything more happening. So they can kind of stop it. So that's what the series is about. It's just three people traveling 
taking down like these local urban legends or supernatural happenings all over the all, all over Iceland. And so in episode two, they would go to uh, this place called Kreetarnes, which is supposedly the most haunted house in Iceland. And the pitch is a 10 episode uh, first season about all this kind of stuff. Oh, wow. Is that like um like an hour long or like 40 minutes or 30? <clears throat> What's more or less the time frame? Because as you were explaining me what the story, the synopsis of the pilot, I was already imagining all the stuff that was happening. And I feel yeah. like... Like, nah, this cannot be a 20-minute episode. Like, I can feel like a 40-minute, yeah. you know, with commercials and whatnot. Yeah, I think I think it's probably going to be the 45-minute mark or something. Probably right. 45, 50. Yeah, that that actually sounds very interesting. It's very creative, you know? Like, I, I, I had to ask you, like, where did all this, like, imagination, creativity came from? Like, where did it all start? Uh, I, I've just always been kind of like, fascinated with horror because i kind of want to know i'm I'm more fascinated about horror when when it's truly something like when when the fear plays more of a part in it and it's just about finding what scares us the most and i was a really when i was a kid i was terrified of the dark like i mm. couldn't i couldn't sleep in the in my room with the lights off until in my teens because i just couldn't bear being in the dark right and I've always been fascinated by ghosts and like I didn't uh, I didn't used to believe in ghosts until like last year because I actually saw one of my own. <laughs> really? Crazy. Yeah, I was uh I was driving back to my my school where I studied film and it was it was insane snow the whole way and had I not gotten back home back to the school that night I actually would have been stuck in uh, Reykjavik which is a uh, Iceland's capital, I would have been stuck there for another week because it was just it it just hailed down snow for the entire week. And actually I actually wound up getting stuck inside the uh, the dorms <laughs> because of the snow through that week. And so I'm driving and I had to take like this new they had blocked they had closed down one of the main roads to get there because of the weather. So I had to take this whole new route, which I had never explored, and I was just driving aimlessly and it's it's so dark and I'm all alone and it's like nine it's like nine p.m. or something but it's really dark because it's winter and I'm driving and I've been driving for so long just completely alone and then suddenly like twenty meters ahead of me I see this man and he's walking he's walking like just on the side of the road and I was like I could see him so clearly he was like wearing this a wool cap and he had on this like uh, he had on this orange vest and he had like these blue pa- he, he was basically dressed in what uh, our local search and rescue teams would be dressed in so I was like shit and I, w- I was like why is he walking here I thought I have to give this man a ride like he can't be walking here this is insane so I kind of started slowing down the car and I, I could still see him like it was yeah. like clear as day as I'm seeing you and then I just kind of looked down for a bit to fix the heating in my car and then I looked up and he wasn't there anymore. So I stopped the car because I thought because he was walking on the side of the road and came down to a bit of a slope, I thought he had maybe tripped. Yeah. And you so just, I stopped. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you just thought that, it, you know, it's like, oh, shoot, probably he tripped. Let me help him out. And then. Yeah, I stepped out of the car into the into the bl- blistering snow. And I was like, and then there were no tracks in the snow. There was nothing. Just no. nothing. 
And I got back in my car and just kept driving. And I was like, this was insane. And I told my friend, one of my closest friends about this. And almost a year to the date, he called me the other day and he asked me like, hey, remember when you told me that you saw this guy like walking on the side of the road or something? I was like, yeah. And he said, like, where were you? Where, where exactly were you driving? And I said, I, because I couldn't exactly remember, but I said, like, I, ha- I hadn't yet reached one of the, I hadn't yet reached the, uh, one of the uh, cabins that you drive past to stop, one of the local stops. Yeah. And I said, I hadn't reached this part. That was like my next stop. And he said, no way, dude, because I'm, uh, because that's my next stop. And I just saw someone walking on the road there. Oh. <laughs> oh, like almost, almost a year to the date. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we got a little similarities on that. Um, I, I wish I can remember stuff that has happened to me in the when I was young, but yeah. I know that my cousins have experience with ghosts before. Mm. I haven't personally believed seen it but i yeah. have heard i've have heard stuff like not 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 that what i mean hurt stuff is not like somebody told me something like no i mean hurt stuff as if like i heard like a like a like a low end like a sudden silence out of nowhere like a, a chilling breeze like a little cracking like weird stuff like bumps or tons stuff like that like even today i've always notice stuff like that as like like what the hell was that and i always try to believe like there's gotta be a scientific explanation to why i'm hearing all this type of stuff but you know there's this part of me in my brain that says um maybe it's not scientific maybe it is spiritual yeah exactly it's yeah it's kind of it's kind of scary to mingle down that little realm. And it's very, very blurry because not everybody is a firm believer about ghosts, you know, or the paranormal as it should, you know. But I feel like that's like where I have heard this. I heard. All right. You know that I've, you know, have you heard stories that there's such thing as aliens, you know, like aliens from outer space? Yeah. Right? A lot of people believe in them and a huge amount of people don't believe in them. I'm a believer that we're not alone in this universe. Yeah. Like there's there there's imp- there's no way that we're alone. Like this planet Earth is like the only human beings or the human it's or anything living existence in this entire galaxy. Like it's impossible. I do believe that there's actually beings outside there that we haven't discovered or ha- have we but it comes to that power of fear, knowing that it is it's it, they do exist, but you choose to deny it. And I feel like that's a that's a very common thing from us humans that we choose to deny it because we don't want to believe that it's true. Yeah, that's that's like cosmicism for you. That's like with uh with the stories of H.P. Lovecraft. Like, there's always something bigger out there, but but to choose to not acknowledge it is the bigger crime yeah yeah but also to answer your question about like the ideas and creativity regarding the question are you just talking about like horror or just like writing in general in general like whether what what came this idea that like you decided like 
okay, let me write this down about horror. Like you already mentioned about the horror part. Now I want to know like, okay, what actually got you started to do this stuff? It's actually like uh, when I was a kid, I, I was always like a pretty big, I, I was a pretty out there person as mm -hmm. in like I could, I watched movies like religiously and that was because my grandma, my grandmother, she would always like watch cartoons with me and movies and such. And it was never like I would act out scenes, but it was like, it was never enough for me to just say the lines. I actually had to do the voices and, and accents and everything. Really? And yeah, I, I did quite a lot of impersonations as a kid. And, and so one of my heroes growing up was uh, Robin Williams because oh. he was such an outlandish person. And I, when I saw him doing stand-up when I was only a kid, I saw him on TV and I was like, I'd only seen him as an actor, but then I saw this and that's actually what I wanted to do. Like first, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian and I've actually tested in that. I have done a stand-up special. Uh, it was fun, but I realized somewhere later, like when I was a kid and we'd be playing with, with action figures or, or like in costumes playing superheroes and what have you, I was always the one creating the stories. Like mm. when, with the action figures and stuff, it was always like, I was always creating the scenarios and sometimes I would just do the dialogues and even when I was, if I, if I was playing video games, just playing a solo video game, I was always, I would always be imagining like, what is, what is he thinking about now? Because the characters don't speak in video games unless it's in cutscenes. And I was just like, I would just kind of be saying out loud what I thought he was thinking at the moment. It was always about something. And like the older I got, I realized it was kind of, I, I just liked creating. I just liked making stuff up. And, but regarding to filmmaking, it wasn't until I saw uh, the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was. I saw that. It came out in 2003. I saw it in 2004 or five. but I had this like double disc DVD and I, I just could watch that movie over and over again. And then one time I put the wrong disc in. And that was the behind the scenes features. And it went like right into this like costume rehearsal or not costume rehearsal. It was just Jeffrey Rush and Johnny Depp doing the sword fighting scene between, between Barbosa and Jack Sparrow yeah. out of costumes. And they were still like doing the sword fights and the dialogues. And then this guy would step in between them, Gore Verbinski, the director. And I was like, that fascinated me so much because this was the first time I, I noticed how films were made. Because when you're a kid, you just think movies just appear. <laughs> like, right. You never... Yeah. Yeah, just they—they're just shipped through, and they're already like complete. But then I saw this, and I was like, I saw the whole process, and I just thought that was so cool. And I was like, and that was when I like knew like this is what I want to do when I'm when I'm when I'm a grown up, because I was just realizing they're just telling a story. Mm -hmm. That's that's all I want to do. Wow, that's actually so, pretty that, good, man. Like, I, I like that story. You know, as you were talking about that stuff, we got a lot of similarities, you and me, actually. Because as I was growing up, I, I, like, I like watching all these Looney Tunes and Disney characters and whatnot. And even I, I remember when I was a kid, I, re <laughs> I do the reenactment of those scenes, even though in my head, I'm doing the exact same thing as, as, as in the shows. But... In, in real life, it's like, nah, I'm just like 
dancing around and doing other crap in, in the living room. But I do actually was um, reenacting and with the voice as as well. So I will just go with Goofy and go like, gosh, oh, yuck, oh, yeah. Yuck, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you go with Scooby-Doo. It's like, hello, Raffy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that type of stuff actually got me into the whole entertainment industry. And one of the other things that you said about the Pirates of the Caribbean, which I piqued my interest when you were start saying it. I had like a similar story with that as well, because uh, every time I watch a show that I generally enjoy, like uh, mostly on the anime side, that's when I do this. I generally imagine myself, I'm in that world and I'm just another character along with a protagonist. And then, you know, I just, I just imagine doing all this crazy other shit and other missions and whatnot, whatever you want to call it. Say like, if we're in the, in the Naruto world, I'm, I'm one of the, the leaf ninjas from a different village, you know? If I'm in the bleach, yeah. I'm a soul reaper. <clears throat> if I'm uh, into the Gundam universe, I'm a Gundam pilot that's trying to save everybody's life. Like no more wars and shit, you know? And oh, that type of stories, oh, I always write it down on the side. Like as as if it was a journal or, or a diet. But you know, one let's just say that one day I want to pitch this to somebody um somewhere in the entertainment. It's like, hey, this is my idea, you know? You know, stuff like that. I always uh, find it very fascinating and interesting. And it oh, and it all boils down to, you know, the creativity of one's elf. It's like not many people can do like the type of things that you can do, you know? Yeah. And it's it's incredible where the inspiration all started, you know, where it was all rooted down to it. And how I actually came out to be part of the audio industry, more in the music. I actually like as I was growing up, I, I enjoy going to going to these disco parties or these house parties, you know, when you're a teenager, you get invited and then there's a big DJ with big speakers. I always, always intrigued with the well, what goes behind the DJ. Like, how is the DJ putting these effects? How is he putting all these lights? How is he transitioned to one side to another seamlessly without anybody noticing it? And that got me started to making being a DJ for over 15 years, playing to these fe- music festivals in the EDM scene and and working with such great artists all around the world and studios and whatnot. And now I'm now I am where I am where where I'm starting my podcast career, you know? Like Yeah, exactly. It's very it's very it's it's just a fascinating story to hear from people like how it all started, you know, and where and what was the the inspiration behind it. Now do you still get these sort of inspirations as from from like you said from the pirates of the caribbean some other movies that or tv series that you've seen over the years well yeah i do because like i love seeing like films in the theater and i especially love just when i see something new and fresh like mm. especially in uh, especially in today's like film economy where everything is a sequel reboot remake but when i see something that has been done a million times before, but you see a fresh take on it. For me, that's always like there's still like really creative voices out there. Like when The Haunting of Hill House came Oof. on Netflix. Oof. That is that is my one of my favorite television programs of all time because like I love horror and we've all seen the haunted house trope a million times. But it was just what the thing about the haunting of hill house is like it's not about just the house 
It's about these people lived in a haunted house, but what happened to the lives afterwards? And I was like, this is such a fresh take on it because they're still, they're still haunted by a house they lived in 25 years ago. And I was just like, this, yes. this is insane. And what I loved about The Haunting of Hill House is usually when horror films or any type of films uses this cutting back and forth between time, it's like when you see a flashback and someone in someone who's alive in the future timeline and we go to the past timeline, we're seeing like this scene that's supposed to be full of tension and danger, but we know they survived. It was like, usually that doesn't get anything out of me. But regarding The Haunting of Hill House, it's like we're, why it worked for me is just we're seeing what happened to them that made them so afraid, what made them so damaged. And it was just, like I said, it was a breath of fresh air each yes. episode. <laughs> I agree. Like haunting, I like enjoying good horror movies and TV series as long as they do it the right way. Like when it, when the American Horror Story started, I enjoyed the first couple of seasons, and then after season four, it kind of died out for me. Even though I still watch it, but I kind of felt like um, there's no more originality as you or it's the same magic as you guys had in the first three seasons and stuff. So then when the Haunting of Hill House came. I was just blown away. I was blown away. And it's because of what you said, because yeah. of like the concept that they took is like, yeah, it's a haunting thing, but there's just more to it. There's like, I've, and believe it or not, there were some scenes that I got scared. I got, they got me on the jump scares and, and yeah. those, those little <clears throat> few moments, but it's, and they do it on purpose. So, you know, you don't realize it. You don't realize it because the whole time you're just, it's seeing their the perspective of each of the characters and then all of a sudden something just snaps at you and you're like, holy crap, what the hell? Yeah, it's because they they don't use that many jump scares in the show, but when they do use them, it's never to directly like it's never too in your face. The the reason it's there, it's the jump scare is actually the tension reliever. Like the scene of the car where the two sisters are arguing and they're just, yeah, and then all of a sudden, just screaming at each other. And then and then Nelly comes yeah. between them. And it's just like, oh, and you get scared, but you're you're just so relieved that they're not fighting anymore. Oh. That's actually pretty interesting. I didn't I didn't saw it in that way. Now that you mention as I recollect, it kind of made sense now. But that but I mean they executed perfectly, man. That's exactly <clears throat> yeah. how you're supposed to like. This is how horror genre needs to improve. You need to adapt to other genres because I can put this series as a horror genre, but it has some dramatic scenes out of it. You know, like there's yeah, and and they did it perfectly. Have you seen the second season, The Hunter of Blind Manor? Yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, well. <sighs> I'm kind of torn because mm. like with The Haunting of Hillows, uh, Mike Flanagan wrote, directed, edited, shot every episode, but he only he was only the series consultant for the second. He, he wrote and directed the first episode of Bly Manor, but he was only like, and he was the consultant and producer on Bly Manor. But like, there is a reason why Bly Manor worked, no, uh, Hill House worked so well is because Flanagan has that like extra sense of density to him mm. when he makes stories. His stories are always like his themes are always on point. It's never, it's never like in your face with it. You, because like regarding that, like when I told you how I 
interpreted the jump scare like that's something like you don't some people don't pick that up immediately but with i felt like the people who were writing and directing bly manor they were kind of just spelling it out to me what everything was about and well bly manor was mm. creepy bly manor was creepy but i never felt a sense of dread i never felt that sense of horror from it but it's more of a character driven story in that way just like hill house but I but with Hill House you have the perspectives of all these different characters for when they're younger and when they're older and you can kind of pick and choose like who which character are you following the most even though you kind of feel for all these people right but with Bly Manor having the au pair being just the central figure for the story I just didn't feel myself connecting to any of the other ones because they were never a focus for me that's an interesting take out of that and um, now like, that I, they that you mentioned it, like there were some things that, you know, like they could have done better at this and they could have been done better on the other part. I thought it was a good season, but yeah, I, I didn't hate it. No, I didn't, I did, but I didn't love it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because I, I sometimes I feel like these, to these type of series or even movies, sometimes in movies is like, you executed so perfectly and great at at the first season or the first movie that it's hard to top that if you're making a sequel out of it, you know? And yeah. what do you think about that stuff? Like, we see that very often on many TV series and movies, and you've seen that everybody prefers the first out of the second. It's because I feel like either the, the studios are cash-grabbing stuff right now is like we need to do this like right now right now while yeah. the while the <clears throat> pen is hot what do you what's your take on that well sometimes i do prefer sequels to the original but that's when like when someone from the original team creatively when they know what to build upon and what to do thematically and well, also dramatically but like there's a reason people love the empire strikes back mm -hmm. over the original star wars it's because They, they took what the first film gave us, but they expanded so much more upon it and for all the characters. like, And for me, regarding sequels, the sequels should always be more about more of the world that was created. For, for me, like, if you look at Empire Strikes Back, and let's take another sequel that I don't think gets enough credit, uh, Dead Man's Chest, the direct sequel to... The first pirates right that is such an amazing sequel to me because again they took they took the characters and what they had built upon with the characters in the first film but they expanded the lore and the universe of it mm. so for me it's like the first pirates films is, is about like okay so this is a world with a pirates and you you've seen these characters but let's now look at the world that they actually live in like hey this is a pirate in a in a normal man's world but now let's put a man in the pirate's world and like a sequel should always be like the the world should be more dangerous it needs to be dirtier and it needs to be like what was the three rules it was like yeah bigger dirtier and more dangerous and And you can apply that to the Empire Strikes Back. Like you see all these new worlds. You see Dagobah, which is just a dirty swamp, and you see Cloud City, which and the planet of Hoth, which is just totally dangerous. And you're expanding an entire galaxy. But if you take a look at 
dead man's chest. We're going far beyond the ocean. Mm-hmm. We're going on all these horrifically dangerous planets. And then you introduce stuff like the Kraken and Davy Jones and the oh. whole thing expands. Yeah. So I really admire the fact for Dead Man's Chest for just taking these characters and expanding the world. Instead of instead of what most sequels do, they I don't blame them for like giving us more of the characters, but if you're only giving us these characters, but it's like it's these characters again, but nothing more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh sounds like the Matrix. Yeah, it, it's exactly like that because they give us all the ideas in the Matrix, but it's just like, here's these characters again doing very similar things. Mm-hmm. And there's n- there's nothing more to it. But if you look at Empire Strikes Back or Dead Man's Chest or what are other great se- like the Dark Knight, for example. Oh, yes. It's just like you look at the world the second film creates based on what they had character-wise for the first world and it makes thematical sense so you just go this is why i prefer this because now i have more of the world and and i already like these characters so let's just right. build more around them damn now that you mention it like some of the greatest <clears throat> movies that make good sequels it's you're right it's more exploration to the outside of the of the character like there's more than that meets the eye yeah Lord of the Rings, the two towers. I, that was my favorite of the trilogy, actually. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. Well, that was pretty good. Yeah. Even, <clears throat> and I watched a five hour version of it. I don't know if it's a five hour or four version. <laughs> it's, it, I know it's a lot, but, but yeah, I enjoyed it more than Fellowship and a little bit more than Return of the King mm. because I guess it, for that sense, you know, like you're exploring the whole world. Like we know that we need to get these people to the ring, but now everybody's on their own patterns. And now we all have to go out and explore. And then there's still more crap happening at simultaneously yeah. that we have to take care of. And then at the end of yeah. the movie, we all come together. <laughs> it was like, okay, full circles. I like that. Yeah. It's like, like one of the greatest sequels of all time just came out recently. And that was Blade Runner 2049. And that was just giving us more of like, what what more can we do with this world? And like Deckard doesn't even come into it until like the two two hour mark. Oh wow! It's be- it's because they're expanding so much upon the lore and world building of the first one that they're giving us these new characters, but we're so like entranced with the world building of it. And so that 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 for me is what all sequels should do. It's just like I said, it's it we we're not just coming here for the characters again because like with pirates and like we've been talking about it's we're coming back to this world we and we want to see more of that also i think that's one of the things that warner brothers <laughs> is failing with these um comic book movies like they're making a great first movie but in the, when the sequel hits it's not landing per se as it should you know like marvel's doing a great job in those comic book uh, movies as like they're creating that de- they're developing the character make a sequel and then they're expanding that character mm-hmm. and the world around it and then before you know it you got an entire franchise universe uh, evolved yeah. with that one character and then boom you got 20 million movies and tv series <clears throat> yeah but like 
that's why some of those sequels like really work and like why some of them are mostly preferred to the original movie. Like if you look at the first Thor and then you watch Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> there's oh, a reason why people prefer Ragnarok. Absolutely. That Thor Ragnarok out of the free fours, that was my favorite one. I feel like Dark yeah. World didn't execute well of what it should, but Ragnarok was, oh, it was everything that I wanted. And I can't wait for the fourth movie to come yeah, around. You can, yeah, that's why you can apply all of these. Yeah. But you can apply all these same rules to Ragnarok. Like, there's a reason why it works. It's because they're giving us, like, we know Thor, we know Loki, we know what these characters are about. But then you give us this whole thing of, like, jumping between all these different interesting worlds. And mm -hmm. it's, it's just like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This is what I wanted. This is what I wanted from Thor 2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of going back to the uh, originals like Planet Earth and As um, Asgard. And, you know, you're not exploring much. You're just exploring in between those two worlds. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. So that's like one of my favorite trilogies to come out just uh, in recent years. Like there's so many trilogies nowadays. But uh, the new Planet of the Apes films, those are they're amazing. You know, I haven't even seen them yet. And everybody really? and I do. And no, I know. Like, <clears throat> I, I definitely have that on my watch list out of all other movies that I want to watch. But I've seen clips here and there. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. Like, that's something I really want to watch. And people have been telling me that that trilogy is amazing. And yeah, they like Matt Reeves came on to direct the second one. And he also like did an uncredited rewrite on it. And then he wrote and directed the third one. He's a he's a incredibly gifted filmmaker. And I I have been so excited ever since the day he was announced as the director for the next Batman film. So Oh, for the Robert Pattinson but, one. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact about that, I actually I have been champion Robert Pattinson for Batman for for years now for some reason. Yeah. It's just me and uh, my, me and my best friend, we have this, like, we sometimes do these fan castings, like, who doesn't? And we only had two names left on our list. It was, if they want to go back to, if they want to go for the older, wiser, like, 20 years experience Batman, you go with John Hamm from Mad Men. Mm -hmm. because, because he looks like Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yeah. but, but then we decided, like, but what if they go for, like, a fresh take on what, not a fresh take, but what if they go for a Batman who's just fresh in the game? He's been a Batman for a year or two. He's still getting it. And then we both decided, like, I think Robert Pattinson would work. And then he was casted like a year later, <laughs> which we just found amazing. Wow. So, he, so. So, you, so you guys basically predicted who's going to be like the next Batman, depending on which, which, you know, direction they were going. Yeah, so we just said it's either John Hamm or Robert Pattinson, depending on the age and like where Batman is as a character. And when we saw the Robert Pattinson was casted, we were just like, "Yes, that that is just that is just a home run." So tell me, um, do you have <laughs> high hopes? Like, are your expectations are high for this Robert Matt Reeves movie? Yeah, well, I just with everything we've been given so far and everything I've seen, it looks like. It just looks like something that it honestly looks like a Batman film that I myself would want to make mm. because I, my friend and I, the same best friend, we've been tampering. Like sometimes we just like we sit down because we often write things together. We were just we sat down this one evening. It was like, 
okay, what if we were to make a Batman movie? And we did this whole thing. And it just kind of, with everything we've seen so far, it, it just kind of felt like it. And with Matt Reeves as director, he's a director I really trust. He, especially having seen like War for the Planet of the Apes, I when I saw that in the theater, I I cried. It was it's wow. a, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful movie, and he has the same composer Michael Giacchino doing the score, and he he's an incredible composer. He did the theme for the new Star Trek films. He did Spider Man Homecoming. He did uh, Doctor Strange. Oh wow! And, really? Yeah, he he's a great composer, and so and having Robert Pattinson, the guy we actually wanted, it just kind of it looks like everything we've been asking for <laughs> for for recent years, and it was just like finally our our patience has been rewarded. Man, I well, I got high expectations, but I honestly, as a as a consumer, as a fan, I did yeah. not expect Robert Pattinson to be casted. To be as the no. next Batman. And Batman is one of my favorite comic book overall, you know. And if you're gonna yeah. execute the Dark Knight, like you I I am having a very high expectations. Maybe it's my my own bias because Christopher Nolan literally spoiled me. <laughs> yeah. Like he literally spoiled me as to like, okay, this is how the Dark Knight should be acting. Yes, yeah. that. And Tim Burton's uh, Batman wasn't bad at all. The Michael Keaton mo- Batman, yeah, jo- I enjoyed that Batman as well. But I, I feel like the the Christopher Nolan is the one that, like, my okay, if this is the cap for being Batman, all right, you're supposed mm-hmm. to meet the minimum cap, and then yeah, spend some more because Ben Affleck didn't execute it to me. Like to me, he wasn't a good cast to begin with, and. And a lot of people are saying like, oh, but he was good at that one scene. Yeah, that one scene. It, I, it shouldn't I, be that I, one scene. It should be the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, I like I liked Ben Affleck as Batman, but I but I didn't like the film like at all. But I yeah, liked well, none of us here. <laughs> I, I I liked Ben Affleck, especially in his Bruce Wayne scenes. I thought I thought he did Bruce Wayne really good. Mm. I, I, like he just he kind of just looked the part, like especially in some scenes, like with the with the jawline and the hair and how he was dressed and how he talked and some of the little smirks he gave. I just like, yeah, that's that's an insanely good Bruce Wayne. But then when it came to the Batman part, like he had the physicality and the and the stature of it, but there was just like it just didn't click. It was just like there's something missing here. It looks perfect, but it's empty. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, that's how I felt. Uh, like overall, as the bat, as the Batman from that franchise or that DCU franchise, because yeah. I I feel like like I, okay, I get it. You're acting, you're getting there, but like, and and believe it or not, John Hammond was one of those in my head. It's like, man, he should have been the Batman. He should have been the next. Yeah. Man. He's definitely a great actor, and he definitely has the physique and the structure for it. So I, like, I could definitely say it, man, but. I have, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I have high hopes for Robert Pattinson. And it surprises me from Robert Pattinson because he was already out of franchise movies with Twilight. Like, I'm surprised that he wants to take another role on another franchise movie. Yeah. Especially, especially, especially when, like I said, I'm having my expectations high on Batman as to millions of people as well. Like, everybody is putting Robert Pattinson as the Twilight boy, but 
I've seen Robert Pattinson in other films and he can act the shit out of it. I'm, have you seen Tenant? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my favorite film of last year. Yeah, phenomenal movie. I just watched it's, it just recently. I was just like... It's so good. Oh my God, bro. I'm blown away. We could talk about that a little bit. Um, But yeah, like everybody's putting Robert Pattinson as the... As the as the Twilight Bowl, he's not going to execute the the Dark Knight. But then I've seen these other films and I'm going to give that credit to Robert Pattinson. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt because he could definitely act out of it. But yeah. again, expectations are high. Yeah. And but the trailer also, did not did not fail me. It fooled no. me. It got, it got me like, oh, okay. Yeah. Also, what's, what's fascinating about the trailer they gave out, it's like the film had, had wasn't even shot to completion what we saw in the trailer was just like 25 percent of the film or something jesus because they were they had put like production on halt for oh yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah and yeah but the thing about robert pattinson is like he he's talked about he hated being in twilight and everything he just didn't like the experience but you see him in recent films like hard times and like Tenet, he was so good in Tenet. Like I hated him in that movie. Well, I didn't. I didn't hate the character. I hated how good he was in that film because I was just like, man, if this doesn't turn people around and say he's gonna nail Batman, I don't know what. No, that 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 I think that convinced me to be like, okay, I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt for the next Batman franchise, like because in Tenet, you, wow, and everybody, the whole movie overall to me. It's like if you're not going to give Tenant for best motion, best music, best composer, best picture, best film, best movie of the year. Like if you're not going to give any of those roles, then, yeah, the whole thing is Rick as it is. Like it, it, sh it should definitely win best original screenplay. Yes. It, it's like like when I see a film in the theater, I'm usually retyping the script in my head as I'm seeing it. Mm -hmm. That's how I kind of picked up screenwriting. It's. Mm. Just I was I was just watching it and I was like how how is this scene written and I, I'm just kind of like retyping stuff in my head as I'm seeing it. It's just like it's kind of subconsciously, but kind of not. It's just like a typewriter in my head. I'm just like okay. And when I was watching Tenet, sometimes I would just have to stop because I was like, how do you even write? How do you write a scene like this? <laughs> <laughs> that whole that intro, like the the prologue of the movie, that's just like whoa, like. Where yeah. where is this going? Like, what is going on with all of this? It's like this is stuff that you normally would not think of. And then when the when the whole inverse thing, by the way, spoilers alert for anybody who hasn't seen Tenet, and but you should be seen by now. <clears throat> um, the whole inverse thing came out of from the bullet. I was just like, huh? What just happened? I don't know. Christopher Nolan is just a it's just a genius because. Like again, this is the same guy who gave us the Dark Knight trilogy, um, Inception, and damn, what, what other great movies has this guy has made? Like, I know he's made like fascinating movies that blows people's mind away. Yeah, like uh, Memento, The Prestige. Mmm, Prestige. Such a good film, man. I that's probably my favorite Christopher Nolan film. Wow, I totally forgot about Memento and Prestige. That is true. Yeah. Like and imagine he did some he did most of those like the great greats like back to back he did like Batman Begins, Prestige, The Dark Knight, Inception. Like how do you oh. fit that? <laughs> like how do you even have the time to freak all that at the same time? 
Like all of a sudden in Inception, you see a, a, a Batman flying over. It's like, wait a minute. Is that supposed yeah. to be in that film or wasn't it? <laughs> he, no, he did a great job. And I am looking for for many more, more, more of Christopher Nolan. And I mean, if he can yeah, he, do more crazy shit like Tenet, which again, I have to watch it twice to under, to comprehend it because once it was just like, what? And then the second time I'm like, okay, now I get it. And then I went to the YouTube clips of how uh, explain the whole movie concept is like filling up my blanks is like gotcha gotcha because I was just blown away like how where does the creativity come from creating crazy shit like that yeah like like I said when I was in the theater and even when I rewatched it recently when when I was showing it to my brother I was just watching some of the sequences and I was like just like how do you put that on paper like how like how how is the scene written <laughs> Like, how does it read? If I were to read the screenplay, would it right. would it be just as like the whole inverse fighting through the through the airport while this right. stuff is happening? And I was just like, I don't know how I would write that. <laughs> <laughs> how and I'm still trying to figure out how how the choreography of that of that doing that. You know, I'm pretty sure they had to do like how many takes for them to do like. Once one side with one person and then the other person because to do that those scenes or choreography scenes to go inverted and then forward and then <clears> and then the whole um what was his ah, I keep forgetting his name was it John Washington Denzel's son yeah yeah John David Washington John David Washington like how he was he able to recreate all those scenes like that you know it's I believe they shot the sequences twice. Like they would do it like they would actually record it like f f forwards and then they would record it, them doing it, the choreography backwards. Like I've seen some of those, I've seen some of those behind the scenes and you're just like seeing like, like, how do you jump backwards into a front, front flip? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just, like it, it's very interesting, you know, I, I, like Kudos for Christopher Nolan, man. I can see why he was actually fighting a lot to say, don't watch the movie on um, home. Put that movie on theaters. Like, I yeah, can that, see why. I think that was the only film I managed to see in theaters, actually. I went with my best friends. We we always see Christopher Nolan films together in the theater. We always make time for a new Nolan film because, like, he makes these films to be an experience. Like, I... Mm -hmm. I still haven't seen Interstellar since I saw it in the theater because it was Ooh. such an experience. We had it like we went to in Reiki, we went to the biggest screen with the with the best audio available. And it was just it was a magnificent experience. And I don't want to spoil it. The the experience, because yeah. I don't want to watch that film now in my living room. <laughs> you get what I mean? Yeah, I get you. Um speaking about uh movie theaters in that, um, What's your take and now where the movie industry or the film industry is shifting now? Like, I don't like the direction of where it's going, but it's kind of inevitable because like with net, mm. I kind of agree with like making films specifically for a streaming service, like the Netflix produced series and Netflix produced films. I kind of like that, but I don't like the idea of going to a film studio and shooting so many 
and wasting so many days, weeks, months, and you're doing all of this and you want to go, you want to see it in theater, you want to show it to people, you want to do the whole theater experience and meet new people and do the whole Q&A stuff. It just, it removes so much of the experience of what happens when the film is finally complete because now it's just like, if they do this, there will be no more like world premieres and no more stuff like this and you you can't go and actually like chat and talk to the people behind it. And like, if I were a film, if I, like, if if I were to make a film in Hollywood and I would want to go and I would want to be in the theater to, to like get genuine reactions instead of just, just putting it online. Mm. Because I know like, even when people see new movies today, if they're doing it from home, they're still doing something else. Ah, got you. Like if someone's watching Tenet for the first time on his laptop, he's still going to be on his phone and then he's going to miss something. He's going to miss a key ingredient. He's going to miss a key mm. key line of dialogue and then it's just going to go, I don't get what's happening, man. And it's just like, no, because that's what the theater experience is about. It's about people coming together because we all want to see a specific film. Like that's like with Endgame and with many, Oof. like with theater experience type films, like the new Godzilla versus Kong film. I don't feel like that's a film made for small screens. It's just like, no, th- you have to see this on a big screen, even yeah. though it's not going to be like the greatest movie ever made, but it's clearly made to be seen. Like they're not making films about giant monsters that we watched on someone's phone. Yeah. <laughs> you- See what I mean? I mean, I got, I kind of have mixed feelings about that because as as much <laughs> as I enjoy going to the movie theaters and Ooh. watch these phenomenal movies in the theaters, and I'll more than happy to do so. It's very hard for me to do it now because at least here in the states, we still got the whole lockdown procedures. You know, we still got COVID all around, and it's. It's hard for me to go out into the movie theater because I don't know how they actually like whether they did their thing by whether they sanitize it or not. Because some, especially here in Florida, because most of the time the people here in Florida are wild, yeah. <laughs> wild people. <clears throat> They're we're a wild species, and you don't you don't know how how they how they sit how if they sanitize the chair or how they got the social distancing aspect and taking off your mask and stuff like. We're still cooped up in a whole area. So that kind of worries me. That's why I'm okay to watch the films in in my living room. Granted, I'm not like everyone else because I have a state-of-the-art surround system and I have a nice HD TV that I can actually appreciate that. But there, yeah, there's yeah. still that there's still that thing in my head. It's like, man, I wish I could have watched this in, in, in theaters because I know. That shit will be blasting on me and that whole screen. I can watch it beautifully like that. But for the for yeah. my sake, for my for the safety of, of me and my family, like I rather watch it here. And yeah. it sucks because right. now the all the theaters are going out of business. It's gonna become now a part in which movie theaters are gonna be a niche thing. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah maybe the big corporation movie theaters are gonna be out of the business, but movie theaters that have they're like type of that have a type of bistro in which they can provide you food and trades and whatnot, make your movie theater experience like legit, they're still going to be around. And 
it's it sucks it sucks because i i definitely want to watch movies um theaters but you know paranoia stuff out of me you know i don't want to risk it you know like it's not yeah. it's not worth me risking it. i can just watch it right here in the comforts of my home and that's yeah. why i got mixed feelings about that so, so i i i'm i was very intrigued of your perspective as a filmmaker and a writer you know yeah like i get it. i get doing it for the time being but i really hope like once this whole thing blows out that it's, it's over back. like we can go back to theaters because yeah. like i i'm pretty selective with going to theaters like i love going to the theater but i only go to the theater to see the specific films that i've been really looking forward to like mm -hmm. when i saw tenet and when i saw like blade runner and uh like the nice guys or whatever films I've been seeing recently, but it's always just like, I know some films that I'm so excited for. I have to see them in the theater because I just, that's the way it's meant to be seen. But like, there are some movies that I want to see, but I, I don't desperately seek them out to the theater. I just, I'll just be like, I'll wait till it's on home video or something. But like with the films I want to see, I want to go to the mainland. I want to meet up with my best friends. I want to go to dinner with them and, chat and like reminisce and then we go to the theater and we all have a blast and it's it's just the whole thing i just love going to the theater with my friends it's always fun yeah i agree that was my whole niche film with my cousins it was just me my two cousins uh one of my cousins uh son and 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 sometimes his brother-in-law we we basically go as a group like we go to any of these movies we'll go on a <laughs> early in the morning on a sunday because that's the time in which we all believe that nobody's going to be here early in the morning. There's not that much crowded. You know, you can still have a line for popcorn. And then afterwards, after the movie, we could just go eat somewhere and then talk about it. And just like keep keep spouting information about like, oh, my God, what what an amazing movie. But, you know, can it all die then after COVID? I mean, the last time that we did that thing was when we watched Sonic the Hedgehog. That was like February of last year, you know? Yeah. And that movie, I mean, say what you're going to say. It's a family-friendly movie, but I loved it. I, I was like, yeah. okay, that was good. And we were just yeah. ready and eager to watch the other movies that were coming out. Um, Mulan, The Black Widow, The Wonder Woman, The uh, Invisible Man. Yeah, that was, that was a great one. Yeah, that was a great one. That's, that's a very unique story from the monster universal universe yeah it's, it's just also with the invisible man i just love like when you take a concept like that and put a completely new spin on it that that's just one of that's been one of my main goals like going forward like i just i just want to take something and do something new with it because mm -hmm. like every every story has been told in some way or the other like even if you look at Tenet, it's just, it's an espionage film. But when you take a, 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 such a unique spin on how to do it, it, it just becomes something brand new. And there's, so, there's so many of them. What do you think about the whole, the mummy, the last mummy movie that they make? That I know it was horrible in my perspective, <clears throat> but you may have a yeah. different one. Well, uh, sadly enough, I was excited for it because I love the Brendan Fraser film. I, I'm a big fan of Tom Cruise. I thought I thought it was just like, yeah, this is kind of a cool idea. But then I saw the film and it's, it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just it's, like no. Yeah, they should have left it on Brendan Fraser, and that's it. Yeah, bring bring back Brendan. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, Universal Studios is like they're they're legit going with this whole monster universe. Like they already so they failed on the mummy, but yeah. then they landed perfectly on the Invisible Man. Now, what do you think is to be the next next movie that they've been planned to head? And what do you think it's their their spin or where they should head on with? Well, I know that Lee Wanell, the writer and director of The Invisible Man, I know he has said he wants to do a Dracula film. And I oh. honestly think, I, I think he'd do a good job because he seems to really understand horror. Mm-hmm. Like he wrote Saw, he wrote Dead Silence, he wrote Insidious. He's written pretty like cool films. And, wow. Saw like, and Dead Silence? Yeah. Oh, Wow. And he also wrote and directed Insidious 3, which was his directorial debut. So, like, I, I, I think he's an exciting filmmaker to watch. He's only directed, like, three films. I think it was Insidious 3 and then, what was it called? Uh, what was it called? Update? No, what was it called? Upgrade, the the, the sci-fi action film. And then he did the Oh, Man. I know. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that one. Yeah. He's a pretty exciting filmmaker to watch. And what I like about him is like, if you listen to his interviews about the invisible man, you, you just, it just clicked, you know, like, yeah, he, he completely knows what he's doing because he like, no one would just tackle the invisible man without trying to find something completely new with it. And I liked how with the invisible man, he put us in the perspective of the victim because with, with all these invisible man, type stories it's always the focus is always the invisible man but this time it's just like no but what if he were after you what were what if you were his target and that's just like immediately that's scarier yeah Yeah. try to fight up something that you can't even see or comprehend or and then at the same time you losing your shit because you're thinking that this is just not real and it is yeah and also the feeling of never knowing if you're alone or not that just that would drive me insane like that's why i was so afraid of the dark when i was a kid because i wasn't afraid of being alone in the dark i was afraid of not being alone in the dark <laughs> it's just like no i it's just there's something in this room with me <laughs> you know i agree man that you know when when you were kids that you know they your mom tells you like hey can you turn off the the kitchen lights and it's all dark and you're like yeah sure <laughs> turn off the lights and you run spat to your room because you believe yeah, that yeah. that's your safe haven <laughs> that he can't get me here yeah exactly 